The Brewery Adventures podcast is sponsored by Rivalry Brews. Get beer shipped directly to your door from RivalryBrews.com. Rivalry Brews is an Ohio-based small business, and their craft beer boxes are a great gift idea for the beer drinker in your life. I personally use and love their service because there's no better mail than beer mail. Featuring top Ohio breweries like Urban Artifact, Twin Oast, Saucy Brew Works, Great Lakes, Fretboard, Masthead, Fatheads, and more, Rivalry Brews ships beers to 41 states. Get $5 or $10 flat rate shipping on all 12 plus beer orders and use code MMA McKinney for 10% off your order at rivalrybrews.com. That's code MMA McKinney for 10% off your order at rivalrybrews.com. Welcome back to the Brewery Adventures podcast. I'm your host, David McKinney. On today's episode, Joel Geyer, a.k.a. Brewery Travels, joins me once again, this time to discuss a brewery in the heart of Texas, Deep Ellum Brewing, which is located in Dallas. Uh, and first off, Joel, uh, thanks for coming back, uh, coming back in and joining me. I know you've got your podcast, which is uh, is is rolling. I think you're about to pass me in episode numbers, so I gotta I gotta stay consistent. Well, thanks again for having me on, David. I, I always, as I say each time, love coming on here talking about some of the brews that you and I have both been able to visit uh, from around the country because it's fun to kind of both recollect and, and look back on on my notes on some of these breweries especially one like today that it's been i, I visited back in 2017 or early 2018 i guess so it's been about four years um and yeah it's, it's just a really really good to be back and, and talk some more beer and yeah i know the, the the podcast has been you know cranking along pretty good got some good episodes coming up it's been a lot of fun and we'll have to find a time i'm sure to, to get you back on to do like a dayton episode or something down the road too yeah dayton columbus cleveland i'm your guy yeah absolutely <laughs> Um, yeah, I've, I've definitely been, uh, been following and, and we'll talk a little about your podcast maybe at the end, but, uh, yeah. So, um, but today we're going to talk about deep alum as I mentioned in Dallas, Texas, and just a, a short history. So they opened in 2011, they were actually the first craft brewery in Dallas, which is kind of fascinating that it took that long yeah. uh, to, to finally, uh, open up a, a brewery in Dallas. Um, even though, you know, a lot of places had, you know multiple breweries before it before then kind of the 90s in some places back into the 80s and even that early 2000s i think was a big uh a big time for breweries to open but so they opened in 2011 in the deep Ellum neighborhood uh in in dallas which is kind of a historic neighborhood and it's definitely had you know some ups and downs and i think it was 
honestly kind of maybe more on the downswing when they opened and yeah that's what it says is that you know it's 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 a very historic neighborhood going all the way back to like the 1920s and whatnot and or it was established back even prior to that in 1873 but it peaked in the 1920s and it's it's close to town downtown for people trying to imagine you know dallas i think it's just a little bit south i want to say of the downtown Mm -hmm. area ish um but yeah it's kind of bounced back and like i said i know they they mentioned on their website that they wanted to be part of kind of growing this neighborhood back to what you know kind of is not necessarily glory days because it would be a different type different type of neighborhood but they wanted to help kind of rejuvenate that 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 particular neighborhood yeah so they opened in 2011 uh founder john reardon opened opened the uh, the brewery um and they had a, a pretty uh, massive uh expansion over the first few years mm-hmm. almost to the point where they couldn't keep up um and it was a, a pretty wild ride there for the first few years and then in 2018 something happened uh and we will talk about exactly what happened right after this welcome back to brewery adventures i'm here with joel geyer aka brewery travels and we're talking about deep ellum brewing and joel so i think you said you went in 2017 right was the year uh well i think it was actually the very very beginning of 2018 now that i think about it but around that time yeah so it's interesting that so you actually went before I think they joined Canarchy. Yes. And I think and I went in 2019 after they joined Canarchy. Um, so we we might have a, a slightly different perspective on what the tap room was. But Canarchy, for for people who don't know, is a, a collaboration of, of multiple different craft breweries, some of the larger ones. Um, and it was actually backed by a venture capitalist uh, group um, called Fireman Capital Partners um, out of the Northeast. Uh, they joined in 2018 along with Oscar Blues, which is Dale's Pale Ale, if you're familiar with that. Cigar mm-hmm. City, which has High Lie, and then um, Wasatch and Squatters, which is our two breweries out in Utah, and Perrin, which is in Michigan. Um, and Cigar City forward, also. Yeah, yeah, Cigar City. Um, but fast forward, so it was created as basically a um, capital backing um, for these breweries to help them grow and expand and, and expand distribution. And um, I know Cigar City and Oscar Blues definitely did expand yeah. and you see Perrin a lot, but Deep Ellum is one of those that's interesting. I don't know if maybe they just haven't made it up you know, to our, our Midwest uh, neck of the woods, but I've never seen their beer in distribution outside of, of Texas. So I don't know if they go, how far they go um, beyond the, you know, from where they're in Dallas. No, yeah, I agree. It's, it's at least from a national perspective. I don't think the name carries the same weight as some of those other names that we talked about. Because you know, you're you're looking at, um, you know, we we mentioned Cigar City, we mentioned um, Oscar Blues. Um, those are all like those are both like breweries that have really garnered the attention of the national like kind of craft beer media, craft beer followers. And even, you know, like I said, like Oscar Blues, even now, like they have multiple like large destination style breweries, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously from Colorado, but they have one out in North Carolina now as well. Um, and you haven't seen quite that same kind of growth from Deep Elm. I, I was looking up to see like they technically have a beer finder on their website, but trying to plug in, I, I, they don't have like a, a really nice map to show their distribution because, yeah, I just I haven't seen much of it. I'm sure they do distribute fairly well in that in, within Texas as well as maybe that region of the country. Um but not at least to the national scale that some of these other breweries have been able to uh, kind of transcend to. But yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting story. Can- Canarchy in general uh, has kind of garnered, you know, a lot of attention uh, overall. 
And like you said, there's definitely been some success behind it. If you're viewing it from some of these breweries perspectives where they were able to take their product and grow it. And for the most part, people still are, you know, there's not a whole lot of people complaining about cigar city beer quality um, or Oscar city or Oscar blues uh, beer quality. So I, I think overall it's, it's an interesting thing. And now, Fast forwarding now, it's now part of Monster Energy, apparently, which is just yeah. the most one of the more funky kind of, I guess, stories. It's up there with Kings and Convicts coming in to buy <laughs> Ballast Point in terms of just a brand that you did not expect being at the forefront of craft beer swooping in and kind of <laughs> becoming part of the center stage. Yeah, I think early in 2022, we saw multiple uh, acquisitions um, take place. Mm-hmm. So we saw Kings and Convicts purchase um the uh what what was the name of the miller um brand that they tried to launch that was based out of san diego oh um, uh, archer archer yeah saint archer yep. um and archer, so yep. they they bought the the i don't think they bought the the brand but they bought like the distribution and the production facility yeah. and um it's it's been an interesting year so far in 2022 as you mentioned monster purchasing um canarchy and according to the brewers association uh, Canarchy will continue to be classified as a as an independent craft brewery. So, first, so I, I have a couple of, of thoughts and and maybe more philosophical and and yeah. and but so Deep Ellum prior to the the purchase when they were just owned by Canarchy, they had on their website the largest independent brewery in North Texas, which I thought was interesting because technically, even if they're owned by Canarchy, they're not really independent. Yeah, they're they're dependent on Canarchy, um, and it was you know definitely they they mentioned in 2018 they added a 60 barrel brew house which helped you know massive expansion that I know they were having trouble keeping up with um, the uh, the 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 amount of of production and and the basically the man, demand for their beer, um, but th- it's interesting that it's you know they they claim to be independent which I, I think more people are saying okay it's it makes if you're owned by Canarchy, that that's independent. But then also, if you're owned by Monster Energy, which is a, a company valued at like fifty billion dollars, are you truly, really still an independent brewery, independent craft brewery? Um, in the eyes of Brewers Association, you are. But in the eyes of of maybe like a someone who a beer nerd who follows this, um, I think it's definitely starting to muddy the waters and and starting to get into into some of that gray area. Um, so it's definitely interesting moving forward, but that's not necessarily what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the beer and the tap room and traveling to it. But we definitely we have to. I mean, we would be crazy if we if we yeah absolutely and, and didn't mention um, some of the stuff that's that's going on around um, Deep Elm, including uh, we were talking about prior to the to the show. Um, we always have a really fun like pre-show conversation, but their owner or the founder John Reardon was suing Canarchy in 2020. Um, alleging that the company owed him money as as part of I think the original uh, purchase of, yeah. of Deep Ellum, and as a result of that, he was relieved of his duties within the company, and is now no longer part of it. And now owns Deep Ellum Distillery. Yeah, well, and it, it even said like the the kind of the sub headline from the article that I saw about that. It said that it was it was about missed payments, and also he was claiming like there was alleged attempts to sabotage the brand success which I think is interesting that, you know, we were talking about that Deep Ellum wasn't having, but it, I, I guess I'd be curious to know exactly, you know, how that all kind of panned out because 
in general, you're kind of thinking, you know, Canterbury obviously wants the brand to succeed, but maybe they wanted certain brands to succeed more than other brands um, that, you know, if they're pushing lever, like pushing buttons, pulling levers more so for other brands versus some of the other ones that they purchased, you know, I, I, again, it's not, I don't want to speak too much on the whole lawsuit about it. Cause that's not a story that I followed very closely. Um, but it is an interesting kind of sub note of, of the deep LM story over the last few years, at least. Yeah. And it, it definitely is, is part of their, part of their story and part of their history. And, um, it's always like, I think it's, it's so hard to, to be an owner of a brewery and, and, you know, for a lot of people, it's, it's truly your baby. And I think if you're the first person going into a place like Dallas where you're, you know, it's not necessarily like, it wasn't like he was trying to capitalize on, you know, Hey, there's 20 other successful breweries in Dallas and I'm going to be the 21st and I'm going in for money. He was, I mean, if you're opening up as the first brewery, you're making a, a huge leap of faith in a place like Dallas that, you know, didn't have a brewery before. So you, I don't think that he was necessarily in it for, for the money. Um, it, it's so hard to, to give up the, um, the, the ownership of, of what, you know, I'm sure he's spent a lot of blood, sweat and tears building yeah. the brand prior to the, to the acquisition. And, and some people, you know, Hey, there's, there's a price on that. There's a price for everything. Right. But it, it I, it's got to be tough for him to to look back and and see w- whether or not he's in the right or wrong. It's I think it's tough to that he's no longer a part of the brand. Yeah. He doesn't have any any part of it now. It's someone else owns that brand and they get to do whatever they want with it. Yeah. Well, and I think one other point I like with with this whole you know canarchy and all that kind of business before we get into the actual like the actual good stuff um, is that what one thing that I think has become more and more evident, especially in more recent months, is is that if you do have this goal of upsizing your brewery and that you want it to become a regional brewery, you want to like expand and just like have this massive distribution footprint is that it, it can be very, it's very difficult to do that. Um, and so having the backing of something like Canarchy could potentially help that. I mean, we just saw modern times just close four of their eight tap rooms. They just announced they were doing that. Just all of a sudden we've seen a lot of other like kind of these l- larger scale regional breweries that have multiple locations. Also like they're closing additional tap rooms because it's very difficult to be able to expand and you know go into these new markets and all that kind of stuff and so, so having that basic anarchy may be able to help I, I you know i don't know what the comparison numbers would be on you know those that have done it through canarchy versus those similar size breweries that have not but um that's just enough, just with the recent news with modern times is has really got me thinking more about kind of the difficulties that you know it's not even difficulty, but the business decisions, like you really have to make smart business decisions when you are trying to expand, especially like when you're trying to open more locations and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, it takes, I think the biggest thing is it takes capital and yeah. when, and capital comes with a cost and, and usually that cost is giving up ownership of, of your, of your, you know, your mm-hmm. brewery, your, 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 your business. So that's a, always a difficult decision, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the, 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 the tap room in general. Um, mm-hmm. That's always one of my favorite parts is I really enjoyed the tap room at deep Ellum. I went there. So I flew um, into Dallas. I was there for basically one night. Um, the only brewery that I went to was deep Ellum because I was like, okay, I want to go to one. It, it's going to be good. I actually ate eight there so i flew in and then had a meeting the next day and then flew back out so that's the only place that i got to go to but i was a really big fan of the brewery it's an old like industrial looking building they've got like the um murals painted on the outside it's nice and colorful Mm -hmm. even though it is in like a slightly sketchy neighborhood 
Um, I love the building. It's got the brick walls inside the, the, they're like use like a lot of like wooden pallets for their decor and they have a big outdoor patio. It was raining the night that I was there. Um, so I didn't really get to enjoy the patio, but the patio is huge, massive. And the, the tap room itself is pretty big. And they have uh, a really good view of downtown Dallas. As you mentioned, it's just outside of downtown. Yeah. Um, but the tap room, I'm, I was a fan. I, I got to sit at the bar and and this was, you know, pre-COVID times and just just people watch. I think it was like a random like Tuesday or Wednesday night. And um, those are always fun times because it's like who's out at a bar on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. And it's usually people that um, have have some sort of interesting backstory, whether it be, <laughs> hey, I'm in town for <laughs> for a meeting or, or uh, hey, this is this is kind of my life. Right. Like I'm, I'm a I might work in another bar or I might, you know, have a, a kind of an off I might work in retail and I, I have Tuesdays my night off and I go out and it's, it's always fun. Like those midweek when you, when you travel to go and, and see like the types of people, because it's a lot of times different than a weekend when it's, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm out it's with my buddies and, and you know, it's, it's a whole different experience. Or they're just brewery travelers like, like you and I are. And it just <laughs> doesn't matter what day of the week it is. We're going to try to get to a brewery. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I definitely agree. It's, it's, it's a very, I, my first, I was looking at my notes for this and the very first note I put down was loud and funky. And I, I think I meant like both in a good way, like loud, like, cause it was, I, I was there, I want to say on a weekday too, but there was, it was still busy. And I think I also meant loud in the fact that, like you said, there's a lot of colorful murals. It's a very interesting tap room. It's got, like you said, it's, it's, it's industrial, almost like a, a kind of souped up garage kind of feel in, in, in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of like there's some ex there was exposed brick behind the ball bar all that kind of good stuff one other thing that i really found interesting and maybe maybe that's changed since because again need to preface this it's been a little over four it's been like four years since we were there um but the, the they also had so their logo it's a very interesting little logo it's basically like your classic smiley face kind of thing but instead of a little like a line for the smile it's a it's a beer bottle and they had that's that sticker that they have of the logo was plastered everywhere. It was yeah. on the floors. It was on the tapes, on the tables. It was on the chairs, on the poles. Like, I, <laughs> like I, I'm looking again at the picture of the tap room and you can literally see them scattered all over the floor. Um, and like, and I've been to, you know, obviously having, you know, sticker walls or stickers on the cooler, or, you know, wherever isn't necessarily an uncommon thing by any stretch when you're talking about breweries, but I haven't been to many where they're literally just scattered everywhere on the floor, chairs, all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, you, you mentioned the large patio. I don't know if they still had, I know they had artificial turf back there with bags yeah. and all, all that kind of good stuff. Um, while it wasn't usable, I also made a note because I found it just interesting at the time they had a, a Frisbee golf hole inside the tap room. It wasn't necessarily usable, but they had it there as decor, I guess. I did not um, catch that. That's yeah. Cool. So just a really interesting, like you said, it, it's an in, it's a very interesting tap room. It's not your tradition. It's not like a modern. And part of it is purely because they did come around so early in kind of the craft movement. Um, I mean, 2011 isn't necessarily early, early, but for the area at least, it was. Um, and so it's not one of the super, you know, modern streamlined tap rooms that you see in a lot of places. This is your kind of throwback, you know, more industrial. You know, you're coming in to enjoy some beer with some folks um, and kicking back. So, yeah I, yeah, I I definitely agree. It was a definitely kind of a neat taproom experience. Yeah. One of the other interesting things, too, is that I definitely remembered um, and actually remembered seeing a billboard um, in the Deep Ellum neighborhood. They were 
definitely they were a very early not very early but early-ish adopter of the hard seltzer movement mm-hmm. i know they had a lemon i think yes. a lemonade hard seltzer was- that they were pushing really hard when i was there um and now they have and- a whole like variety pack of it yeah variety pack and this was 2019 so it, seltzer wasn't unheard of but it was just no not it hadn't common. yeah no it hadn't peaked like um, it is like it did like a year or two ago yeah so. to see uh to see seltzer like a hard seltzer so that definitely like stuck out to me um, well especially craft a, breweries doing it because i mean hard seltzers were around but cr- the, the craft breweries hadn't necessarily picked on up on it like they have in the last year or so yeah that i completely agree it um it it that was one of the things that I remembered like early, um, early, they were an early adopter. They've also, it looks like they've done like a pickle seltzer peach. Mm. Um, they've done a bunch of different seltzers. Um, and I, I love their branding. Their branding is like very loud and yeah. And very much kind like, of the vibes there. Yeah. Very much. Even though it's not like, um, it's not like a, I wouldn't say it's clean, but it's very consistent brand and that it's, um, kind of almost in your face very colorful uh, yes colorful well. like when we say loud like it's not just that there's a lot going on in the can like they're, they're, they're in general they use a lot of colors as well to help kind of catch your eye i guess you could say yeah um so yeah so let's talk about their beers um Absolutely. they have a, a, a handful of year-round beers their two flagship beers that they have are um they have a dallas the dallas blonde ale and a deep lm ipa and i mean that's like right down that's like throwing a fastball right down the middle, right? Is a, a mm-hmm. blonde ale like, hey, this the person that comes in that's like, hey, what's what do you got that's light or what's easy drinking? Because I know it gets hot in Texas uh, in in the summer, and then an IPA, of course. I mean, you have to have an IPA. I actually tried their um, double IPA. I didn't try their original IPA, but uh, um, their double IPA was was um, very good. I remember Dream Crusher. It's called. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really well balanced for a double IPA. You, it wasn't in your face with the hop. I mean, it was in your face with the hops, but it also had some like malt character as well. And uh, I, I remember that being um, the highlight. I, I ended up getting a flight. So I had a hazy IPA and they were um, at the time, again, 2019, you didn't go to every single brewery and see lagers. Um, they actually had multiple lagers on um, when I was there. They had an American light lager um which is like a um or i'm sorry mexican lager called nito bandito another one called cadillac bandito which is like a um a a margarita style version of that mexican lager and just their regular deep elm lager that's um a 4.8 percent american lager that again now you see more places diving into to doing lagers um but that wasn't as popular a couple of years ago. So I think they're definitely on the kind of the cutting edge of, of, of some of the trends that became more popular even in the past couple of years than, than when I was there. Yeah. I mean, and so from my experience, I actually went my favorite, I went the opposite direction of you um, when it came to the IPAs, because I, I, I remember I had just finished up, a 10 plus hour driving day. Cause we were, we were in the process of moving from Nashville to San Diego. This is during my wife's first stint as a travel nurse. And so I, I hit up uh, three different breweries and I, I remember I was pretty exhausted from the day and I didn't feel like drinking anything too heavy. Um, and so I actually got their easy peasy, which is their flat go like one of their year round is their session IPA. Um, it's brewed with, I have my notes here. The only tangerine and lemon peel. Um, another just 
really nice light body because again you're getting that ipa kind of classic ipa flavor without kind of the the big punch that you get from a double ipa or even even their you know what would be their flagship um and the other one is like i did also have the dallas blonde which again just right down the middle every day you know you just want a beer like that's a good that's a good option to have um on on tap at all times uh, and then the other the other two that i had in my flight was uh, the bel canto farmhouse saison and then i had one i don't see it anywhere else anymore and it was actually probably my least favorite of the ones i did try the it was a local legend of sweet stout which it was interesting because it, it did it was very sweet kind of earlier on and then although it was only 5.8 percent, it started to taste a lot boozier and like he, like heavier than what i would have expected for a stout that kind of sat below the six percent abv which I, th- I thought was interesting um but yeah i really enjoyed I, re- I really dug the easy peasy ipa that would be one that I would be happy to keep a six pack of in the fridge um, wh- when I'm wanting something maybe a little bit more hoppy, but don't want like, you know, a super, you know, juicy haze bomb or a double IPA. Uh, I-, I think that would be a really great option. Yeah. I, uh, I think that that's, it's nice. They have like a, a nice varied selection as well. Um, I think that's sometimes is, is an underrated aspect of a tap list. Like, you don't need 12 IPAs or, you know, you don't even necessarily need 12 lagers sometimes having a little bit of something. Cause maybe I'm like, Hey, I'm in the mood for, I don't really know what I'm in the mood for, but if I go to deep Ellum, I know they're going to have something that sounds good. Right. So, yeah. um, or if you're like, I'm definitely not in the mood for a stout, so I'm not going to go to the stout brewery or I'm not in the mood for a sour. So I'm not going to go to the sour brewery. So it's definitely like a, sometimes a catch 22 of, of being a specializing in something, but then, um, you got to make sure that that person is going to be in the mood for that when they, when they come into, into your tap room. So, yeah. Um, well, we were also, one thing I wanted to know too, I was looking just at that kind of like their overall distribution, like release schedule stuff. And they, they must have a pretty big footprint because it, it says that all of their year round beers are, are, you know, available in, in packages year round. And then so are a lot of the other stuff like they're, they're distributing in not only 12 ounce cans, but also 12 packs um, 19 ounce cans. And then they also have several different variety packs as well, which I'm sure kind of point to, you know, those are the kind of things that you'll, you'll see at like a large grocery store chain or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely went into a grocery store when I was there and I saw lots and lots of deep alum yeah. beers. Um, they had not just one or two, they had, had, you know, six or seven, which was, was kind of impressive for, you know, craft brewery and getting that many items in like a large, um, basically a grocery store. Um, so I thought, I thought that was interesting. So, um, that's deep alum. I did not go to any other breweries in Dallas, so, um, I don't really have a, a great insight. I know that there's another brewery right down the street from them called Westlake. I don't know if you, anywhere else that you went that you would, would recommend. Yeah, I mentioned, I went to a total of three. Um, I'll save my, my favorite for the left. Um, the one, one I went to that, uh, I went to brain dead brewing, um, which actually I believe just announced that they were, I believe that they announced that they closed just a little while back. Okay. Um, but they had, they had, they really ran the gauntlet in terms of some interesting styles. They had a pre-prohibition cream ale. They had a Belgian dark strong with Brett and cherries. That was 9.3%. Oh, wow. um, they had a rye ESB pineapple upside down cake, strong ale and an old ale aged in uh seven wine punchins with Brett. So, so just of they really ran the gauntlet. It was also a full brew pub as well. Uh, I remember there was like a some mac and cheese with duck confit. Like they they wrote, <laughs> it was quite the fancy setup there. 
Um, and I remember talking, I, I asked why, why they went with the name brain dead. And they said that they, they named it because they don't ever want to overthink things. But <laughs> if you looked at some of the beers and some of the food, you're like, wow, you guys really went through the, like, you guys got some interesting stuff here though. Um, and then one that I really enjoyed, cause I also got to chat with the owner for quite a bit, uh, Petticolis brewing in, in there and they're on the North side of the city. Um, the owner was actually a lawyer and he actually helped fight a lot of the laws that were really restrictive in Texas when it came to breweries and being able to distribute and sell beer and tap rooms, all that kind of stuff. Um, they had an amazing flagship beer that you don't see very often as a flagship beer. Um, Velvet Hammer was an Imperial Red Ale, 9% ABV, but so smooth, great biscuit flavors, little bit of warmth because it's at 9%, but to have that be your flagship beer is not only unique, it's very, very bold because it's a beer that you're going to slap that this is the beer that we own. And that's not going to be a beer that many people are going to be, especially if you're newer to craft beer, you're going to be comfortable with necessarily. And it was just so well done though. I was so impressed with that. And then they were also big on, I know they, they, they were big on like their Imperial IPA, um, the Belgian style porter. Like they, they had, good or about a belgian single and then a port like they they had some good stuff um and an interesting like kind of tri-level tap room kind of in the same way that you have like kind of split level houses like you walked in kind of a little basement there was a bar and kind of a few steps up and then there was another upstairs it was a very interesting tap room setup um but yeah great beer there as well again i only made it to the three in my one night in dallas so i'd like to get back at some point um because i know that there's plenty of more good beer beer in that area um but yeah, no, I think there was definitely had a solid night there. The, the one night that I did have. Yeah. Dallas, not always like on the tip of your tongue when you think about beer cities, but no. it looks like they have a, a good amount of beers or breweries, especially in like their um, kind of downtown area. One of the places I wish I would have gone to um, if I would have even realized that it was there is a place called Manhattan project beer company um, because I love the name and it looks like they do, not only beer, but they have food and it's also a coffee shop as well. So um, maybe if I get back to Dallas, I'll, I'll make that first on the list. But uh, that's going to do it this week, Joel. I, I know um, you've got your podcast, the Brewery Travels podcast. Um, I just listened to your Burlington, Vermont episode. Mm-hmm. And I know you just did your uh, yearly, re- uh, yearly review recap. Uh, what else have you, um, have you had uh, recently and what do you have coming up? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun to kind of put this together. I was just going to go look, I can't even remember exactly um, what number I'm at. I was going to go peak, but yeah, we, we've really been kind of going through all, like we've really hit every region. Uh, recently we've also done Boise, Idaho, Charlotte, Portland, Oregon, um, Louisville, Kentucky, Chicago, Detroit, DC, Salt Lake city. Um, and so we, we've currently had 23 episodes uh, and all like all but like one or two of them have been focused on a city. Like I said, we did the annual review and it had a holiday special. And then we have we have some great episodes. I can kind of give a little preview. Um, to well, it won't be out. Th- th- it'll already be out by the time this is posted. But uh, I, this week's episode is on Southern New Hampshire, so like Portsmouth, Manchester, which is special to me because it's the location where my wife had her first travel assignment. So that's where we lived for three months. So I got to ch- talk with some guys there about it and have an awesome longer episode coming out next week on New York city. 
uh, with some great guests and have interviews like some other ones coming down the line here are uh, Richmond, Virginia and Orlando, Florida. So have a lot of, like I said, the, the goal of this podcast is not only to hit the cities that people immediately think of when they think of craft beer. You know, like I said, I've got episodes on both Portland, Oregon and Portland, Maine and San Diego and Chicago, but, you know, doing places like Boise and Orlando, you know, and being able to have local experts in from those places to tell people about why the beer scene there is, you know, still good. It's so great, you know, good beers being made everywhere. And it's important to kind of recognize that and make sure that we're, you know, let letting people that do like things that we do travel to breweries that, you know, no matter where you go, you'll be able to find breweries. And I'm hoping that my podcast acts in a way that gives people kind of some details that if they're ever in one of these places, they can go to the podcast and listen and get some advice from, from some locals. I will say as a, as a person who looks up to you in terms of the number of breweries that you visited. Um, but also I, I love the the concept of, you know, we have similar, I, it's funny because we're similar, but also different in terms yeah. of the podcast. And I love how you focus on a city because if I'm going to a city and I am trying to figure out like if I'm going to Burlington or if I'm going to Southern New Hampshire, where should I go? Like, and what's the brewery scene like there in terms mm-hmm. of the brewery scene as a whole? I love that you're focusing on that. And uh, speaking of Chicago, you're actually going to be on next week's episode as well of this podcast where we're going to do something a little different. And I'm, I'm very excited about this talking. I'll take, we're going to peel back the onion a little bit, do a little inside baseball and talk about how uh, we go, we, we both go about doing uh, a brewery trips, beer trips, yeah. beer cations, and we're both planning trips to Chicago and I thought it would be perfect to um, to have you on to talk about um, exactly how you do, you go about it, what you do, what I do. Um, and this, and Chicago is such a huge beer city and, and oh yeah, big city in general. And I and think so that, made just amazing yeah. choices. And I think we both haven't explored as much as we we both have been to Chicago, but haven't explored it as much as we want to. Yep, so I agree. I'm excited to uh, to talk with you about that. That's next week, uh, but thank you so much for joining me and talking about Deep Ellum and all the fun stuff uh, with with Canarchy and, and all that great stuff. So tell people where they can find you um, and the podcast, and uh, we'll get out of here. Yeah, so I mean, again, the podcast is just the Brewery Travels uh, podcast, which you know you can find anywhere that uh, that you listen to podcasts. If you're still having trouble, though, if you go to my website, thebrewerytravels.com, there are links to the podcast as well as articles I've written, links for merch, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, if you haven't followed me on social media yet and want to follow along on my brewery travels, uh, on Twitter, I'm at brewery travels. And on Instagram, I'm at brewery underscore travels. And thanks again, David. Always, always a great time being able to chat with you about any brewery around the country. That's for sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for for coming on. Thank you. Uh, and definitely be sure to check out brewery travels. I'm a weekly listener now. Um, I, I, I realized I need to just listen every single week, but also it makes me want to go to all these places. Yeah. That's, that's, my that's one like, of the other goals. <laughs> we can't travel every single, every single week. And, and, and that's very expensive, but, uh, on the, definitely the places where I'm planning on going soon, it's, it's nice to have like this, this basically guide of, of mm-hmm. the starting point, um, to, to jump off of. So, uh, be sure to check out MMAMcKinney.com for, uh, that's kind of my hub for all the stuff that I do this podcast, my other podcast, check out uh, MMA McKinney on all the social media outlets and also be sure to check out Brewery Adventures on Instagram and we will be back next week with another episode. Remember we were riding in your car 
not thinking about much, didn't get too far. Nineteen miles to the gas range now, and I ain't never walked that far before. It tastes like candy and cigarettes, and at that point, I hadn't tasted anything better yet. Got that love that can make a man. Got those eyes make a man forget. Say that you love me too. Say that you call every single day. 